Unlimited Podcast. Welcome to Automated. I'm your host, Mark Verbenkov, and in this weekly podcast, we will be exploring the impact of emerging technology on jobs, society, as well as us, with business and technology leaders, researchers, and independent professionals across the world. So in today's episode, we'll be looking at the agricultural industry, which is actually facing a number of different challenges. So amongst them, uh, weeds are actually becoming more resistant to petrochemicals, Different farming practices, such as tilling, actually further degrade the growing soil and release a large amount of CO2 into the atmosphere every single year. And, as is more relevant for the podcast, there's actually a general labor shortage experienced by many farms uh, across the world. So this week's episode looks at the agricultural industry and specifically how using robots can help contribute to solving some of these challenges that many farmers face. My guest today is Clint Brower. He is the CEO of Greenfield Robotics. And Clint is actually a former executive from LA's technology industry who returned back to Kansas to get back into farming and learn more about how robotics can be applied to agriculture. So we'll of course look at Greenfield Robotics and what they do. So we will discuss these challenges and go into them a little bit further in today's episode, as well as farming in general what regenerative farming is and why it is important to adopt, as well as the robots in his company, what they're being developed for, and how they are tackling a number of the problems that are listed above. Clint, thank you very much for coming on to the uh, Automated Podcast. It's been uh, a long time scheduling it. Uh, glad to finally have you here. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about robotics and agriculture and everything that we have planned today. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for uh, being uh, patient with me on the scheduling front. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so what I do with all my guests to start off with is, you know, try to make it a little bit more of a, of a human podcast. So discussing a little bit about how you initially got interested in robotics and agriculture, which is kind of the two themes that we're going to be speaking about today. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, basically about uh, 10, 11 years ago, I, I came back to Kansas. I've been in California for 13 years and in tech and stuff. And I I eventually set my mind on, um, dry, you know, trying to get chemicals out of food, um, starting with agriculture, of course, and, uh, you know, for many reasons, for human health reasons, for wildlife reasons, and went down a path of doing it manually and figuring out, you know, what was possible, what wasn't across a lot of different types of crops from specialty to, to broad acre and, and arrived at a determination that if you want to do it without tilling, that a new class of uh, machines needed to be out there. And so that's that's when Greenfield Robotics started. Interesting. And and maybe for um, for the audience who's not fully aware of all the different agricultural things, why is tilling a bad thing? Uh, something to do with uh, depleting nutrients in the soil, if if I remember my uh, my science from back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it's a fairly recent thing, right? I mean, tilling's been around forever, plowing and disking yeah. and chiseling and ripping that ground up, and and it's it's kind of funny that the no-till movement kind of when you first get into it you're like wait what you know um but yeah as it turns out the downside of of tilling is uh, one is erosion um Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. destroy destroy the soil structure you have no residue you get a heavy rain and away your soil goes so so that's that's one two when you turn that soil over um you're you're emitting carbon right so that's that's another downside 
And then the third thing is um, contrary to, you know, I grew up, we'd say, oh, you know, get a nice, uh, get the ground nice and fluffy so it can soak in the rain, right? Right. And it's actually the opposite. Um, when you leave roots in the ground, preferably growing, but to even the ones of former cover crops or crops, then, then and you have that residue uh, sitting there on top of the soil, as it turns out, when the rainfall hits the residue, it slows down. You have the gaps in the soil provided and uh, you can store actually quite a bit more grain water per cubic foot. And so it's the opposite of what you would think, at least what I was taught growing up. Okay, interesting. And, and uh, I'm assuming that that's quite important as, uh, I mean, climate change continues and we have increased uh, flooding. Uh, I had a project a couple of years back in the work that I'm doing now that dealt with, uh, you know, the massive amounts of flooding. I'm assuming it's the same thing in Kansas, no? Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, boom and bust drought and, and flooding, you know, I think that um, we've always had cycles like that, of course, um, you know, the Midwest is kind of an extreme place at times, but it does seem like they've been accentuated now they, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get bigger events than we've had and bigger droughts and my, my first two years back farming were 2011 2012 full time and it was horrendously hot. It was one of the worst droughts we've ever had. And mm-hmm. it was really brutal. And uh, I thought, oh, holy smokes, if it's like this all the time, we're in trouble. Right, right. And most ground is what's called dry land. It's not irrigated. So it really matters what you do with your water. One of the things that I saw on your website was that this is, uh, I, I mean, we'll talk about uh, Greenfield Robotics in a second, but this, this entire, I guess, new way of thinking about how to deal with soil, deal with agriculture is part of that regenerative farming theme. It, this goes to a little bit about what you were saying before, but maybe to give a little bit of context for the for the rest of the episode, maybe we can just touch on that. Sure, you bet. Uh, makes sense. And <clears throat> first off, I am definitely not one of the pioneers of regenerative ag. Um, there are folks who have been working on this for 25, 30 years. Yeah. And um, the linchpin of it is the no-till stuff we described. And that basically, like I said, you don't turn the soil over. And you, second thing is you always try to have a growing root uh, as often as you can. So that can be your, your cash crop on a broad acre setting. By broad acre, I mean the big fields you think you're going to see in the United States, you know, huge corn yeah, fields, yeah. wheat. And you always either want that cash crop root growing and or uh, a cover crop. And a cover crop is simply a crop you're growing um, for its benefit to the soil instead of harvesting for the grain. And, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times cover crops will have 10 different species. So you do that. That's the, that's the second thing that you do as part of it. And that helps you sort of to reduce your fertilizer needs and your herbicide needs. And then the third one that is done the least is reintegrating livestock onto the cropland. Of course, livestock's running all over pastures uh, everywhere globally. It used to be that, um, that almost all cropland had a fence. And that's because they would put animals out there and do rotation, mm. you know, and rotate them on and off behind or ahead of cash crops. And that changed. Uh, the little farm that we have, the family farm, um, all the fences are gone. And um, there's many reasons for that, but that that is pretty typical. And so um, that makes it hard to do what's called rotational grazing, where you move the animals often. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of benefits. And that is the third kind of main thing to the regenerative ag is 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 that. And of course, the other one, which is just good farming, is crop rotation. You know, you, you, you try not to do the same thing year after year. So 
where then does the the company that you have now, Greenfield Robotics, fit into this? Right. What is the what is the purpose of? Uh, I mean, we'll talk about the robots as well. Uh, yeah. But what is, what is the purpose of this as it relates to uh, regenerative agriculture? Because I think that that connection is quite interesting. Yeah, I think the uh, the first bots that we have, and we just call them weed bots. Um, it's just sort of our name, and okay. we don't even, you know, it's not trademarked or anything. The first problem I set out to solve was, um, okay, if I go no-till and I'm growing my crops and I don't want to use chemicals, right? And that that's really the difference with Greenfield is um, we want to solve the problem without chemicals. Yeah. And so how do I grow a soybean crop without chemicals? Well, the first problem that we, I have, and many farmers have, is these broadleaf weeds. Um, pigweed is, is the name in this region, and they're very invasive now. And they're resistant to herbicides when they're past a foot tall. So there's actually a risk issue there with losing control of the field. You know, that was my first thing. And those weeds come up, I don't, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to, you're going to see them. And so how do we solve that problem without chemicals, right? And so our first weed bot basically goes between the rows of the already growing soybeans. It could be corn milo, but mm-hmm. we're really focused on soybeans. And it literally, I tested it for a couple of years. It cuts them off, cuts the weeds off at about an inch high. And it forces them to try to grow back without really any foliage trying to grow back. And we figure we do this, you know, two to five times a season. We've actually never had to worry about five times, but you never know. In farming, you never know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, you know, three times is what we think. So it doesn't solve the whole herbicide problem. It doesn't solve the whole chemical problem. We are working on that as well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it certainly decreases the amount and, and, and solves some major problems for farmers. So that's the, um, uh, I I mean, I did read a little bit. I think you had a blog post about this, this pigweed, right? Uh, Herbicide resistant grows two to three inches a day. It can grow, which is, which is insane. Yeah. When it hits a point, I mean, it just takes off and, you know, it gets to a point you can't even humanly pull it, you know, right. Right three foot tall in the ground gets hard and the root systems are amazing. And, uh, you know, it's a real shame. We don't all just love Palmer amaranth to eat or something because we can really grow it well. Of course we did that. It'd probably have wheat or something as an invasive species. So sure, just sure, sure. Too. <laughs> so, so then the, the main point of the, the robots, the, the weed bots, as you call them is really to just cut down and kind of maintain that level of, uh, in this case, the pigweed to enable, or I guess I should say, reduce the amount of, uh, different kind of chemicals and pest, or herbicides, et cetera, uh, on the different fields, which I would assume that the amount of herbicides used in these large monocrops would just be tremendous, right? Uh, maybe you can yeah. touch on that a little bit. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's growing how much yeah. you have to use. And that's, that's the thing. It, um, when I was younger and, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you didn't have to use so many herbicides. Mm-hmm. But because of the growing resistance, the cocktails are getting bigger and bigger and, and your cost per acre is growing. And like I said, you still have ultimate risk out there. To take a spray rig out on a field, um, that weighs, you know, let's call it 50,000 pounds because it's loaded with a ton of water and it's a huge rig, mm-hmm. you know, you can't go through mud. Yeah. So you can't always get out there. And that, and that's where you can have escapes and you run into problems and then flat out, no spray rig is perfect. And, uh, so you're going to have escapes that you miss and, and so on and so forth. And a pretty common thing is to see a field that's been sprayed and then it looks like the weeds are dead and then he sprout out of the head and take off again. Hmm. And uh, mare's tail is actually another one that we see here commonly. And I've had that happen many times. And so it's harder for it to do that when it's been cut about an inch off the ground. Right. Okay. Interesting. 
Um, and maybe let's talk a little bit about the, the weed bots themselves. So can we get a, an idea about the size? You know, the, I, I'd assume they'd be quite durable if they're going through fields, you know, bumping into, you know, potential crops or rocks or anything like that. Uh, maybe you could paint a visual picture for us. Well, they weren't that durable two, two and a half years ago, but they're, uh, they're getting there now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're, they're about three foot, three foot long, maybe by, um, of course they got to be less than 30 inches wide. So I think mm -hmm. the actual chassis is about 20 some inches wide, okay. four wheel drive, skid steer, uh, electric, they're battery driven. Mm -hmm. And uh, they basically have two cutting blades on the front um, that sort of a floating platform and it runs along and, and cuts them within, you know, we're trying to get within an inch of the row. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's the, that's the goal of it. Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, they don't move super crazy fast. They're a small machine, you know, we're, we're targeting, get them two, three mile an hour right now. So. Okay. And uh, it's more of a swarm approach, right? It's the opposite yeah. of where ag equipment's been. Yeah. You know, so we deploy more of these small bots, not one or two huge ones. Right. Yeah. And I, I then assume that the impact on your actual crops would be significantly less, right? Because you're not bringing out this 55,000 ton behemoth machine. Uh, you just have a, a number of these smaller ones. Um, what about uh, battery life on them? It's interesting that they're completely run by batteries. Uh, do they have to do multiple trips uh, for, for one field, for instance? <clears throat> Yeah, so we, we figure they run up to about eight hours on the batteries. And of course, there's variation there depending on how many weeds we're cutting and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But uh, it's interesting. We had an advisor who created an electric motorcycle company a long time ago before it was easy to do it and um, did very well. And, and I had him do back of an envelope sort of prognostication for us before we really built our first really field ready one. And uh, he was pretty spot on. And so, but we can swap our batteries in about a minute. Okay. So it's not, it's really not a huge thing. Right. Um, right. Everyone always used to gravitate to that, right. When we meet them and tell them about it. And actually, as it turns out, that seems to be the least of our challenges. And then how about uh, the vision system on this? How does it navigate, right? Uh, you're saying they just kind of go between the, the rows of the crop. So are they, do they sometimes, you know, chop up some of your, your crop or do they mostly focus on the, on the weed itself? Like, is there a way to distinguish the two that the, that the robot has? Yeah, I mean, our, pro our approach uh, on the surface is a lot simpler than a lot I've seen out there. You know, since we're not spraying and we're not spot spraying, what we're not trying to do is deal with the weeds in row. Right. So the idea is that you do what you're supposed to do before you plant your crop, your crop comes up quickly and in row, you don't have that much, that, that many weeds. Right. Okay. So 95, 98% of the problem is between those rows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we think farmers are totally happy with that solution. Of course, someday they're going to want to have the, the next version in which we are working on. But, okay. um, you know, the idea was let's get out there in fields and let's get something done. And let's solve the problem and let's not have an eternal R&D project here. Mm -hmm. And so um, that said, it is a challenge to recognize rows of crops moving at a pretty good speed um, using machine vision and to coordinate the fleets moving up and down those rows. And so we've used a lot of machine vision for this, which uh, works. We also uh, use GPS and, um, and then of course we have all sorts of electronics for sensing and stuff that um, we we're using now as well. So it's a, it's a combination of technologies uh, over time. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty steep learning curve, but yeah. it's with machine vision and someone who's super capable that, that joined the team right off the bat. Right. 
And I guess that as the, the, the mechanical way of removing these weeds, uh, you don't need to separate whether it's one type of weed or another, right? It, it, as no. long as something's in the way, it gets it gets trimmed or cut down. It's, it's getting mowed. And, and, and the thing is, like, uh, especially with soybeans, you know, a soybean, you plant them, they come up, you'll, you'll see them in seven to 10 days in mm -hmm. most cases. Okay. And um, they can canopy within 60 days. And by canopy, meaning they come up and then they, they touch, right, in the middle of the row. Well, when you shade it, your weeds slow down. Right. And so um, you have two, you know, you have several types of weeds, but broadleaf and grasses and, and broadleaf are the ones we really deal with. We basically mow the grasses and there seems to be some impact on it. But to be honest, we haven't measured it, which, you know, you would think mowing grass, what's the, can't be any impact. And, and, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong on that, but, um, you know, grasses are not a big problem in soybeans. So um, it hmm. seems to solve the problem form for the most part. And once the canopy after 60 days, it's, it's done. We'll make another run through the field, possibly right towards the end of that. Hmm. And, and, and then they should be good to go. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and one thing I want to go back to, so you're talking about uh, like fleets, like coordinating a fleet. Maybe you could just quickly say like how many robots are needed for, well, I guess not per acre, right? It would be how many acres uh, can one robot do? <laughs> um, yeah, and then we, I mean, can, yeah. we think about how many acres can we do with roughly 10 bots with maybe okay. a backup or two. And okay. and the target this year, you know, and we haven't achieved it yet, but uh, I, I'm, I'm optimistic we will, is mm -hmm. about 100 acres a day with 10 bots. Yeah. And so um, that is the goal. And, and so that's during the daylight hours and so on and so forth. But um, we'll see how it works out. We're obviously getting better all the time. So we've been yeah. down in Florida doing a little testing and we're always testing in Kansas. And um, so it's really about how fast can those bots move at what accuracy. Yeah. And um, that's, that's what we're constantly working on. And so part of that's your hardware and part of that's your software. Uh, they don't run at night? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we to started the company, guys were like, well, maybe we should just run at night. And I said, uh, guys, I've lost so much sleep doing what I've been doing the last 10, 11 years, middle of the night with greenhouses, chasing animals around the countryside. Um, they got loose, um, not being able to have full night's sleep at all in the winters, um, even sometimes in the summers. And I'm like, I am not going through that with these robots until we know everything else is further developed. And so, uh, but we will start testing it more this year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, like, say like a dark warehouse, for instance, right? Like the, yeah. that's one, that's one of the reasons that a lot of the robots are put in there is that, you know, there's a, there's no humans needed. So you can just have these things running continuously. But I think right. this is completely different when you're out in the field, you know, you're, the, you're still impacted by the elements, by the weather. Yeah, I think it's a quite a quite a different situation compared to these. Yeah, and dark warehouses. Right now we have someone always edge of field monitoring these. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and last year it was you know three someone's, and so um, I think that as long as that's going on, you have to consider that in in your hours and, and what the situation is out there. Mm -hmm. So um, that's you know that that's part of it too. Right. Right. So, I, I mean, I'm very familiar, and I think the listeners are familiar with, say, like uh, the Amazon warehouse uh, automated guided vehicles, right? The small little things that lift up the boxes, move them around. They coordinate perfectly. And I think there was a, a video that went viral several years ago, right? They're, they're not bumping into each other ever. They uh, have kind of perfect perception of where they are uh, with the GPS and other type of sensors. How do your robots compare, right? If you have a, a fleet of 10 working on, say, a 100-acre parcel of land are they ever bumping into each other do they know exactly what sections do they have to do uh how, how does that work 
Yeah, they have a, you know, currently they have a centralized managing managing system. So they know where they are relative to each other. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we have someone monitoring as well. So real time, people can see what's happening in the field, both from the perspective of the bot, because uh, we are streaming video back from mm-hmm. each bot. Okay. And also from the perspective of a satellite GPS view, which would show them relative to each other as well. And then, of course, there's, you know, I'm sure Stephen's coded in at this point, you know, collision management and stuff like that. Right. Um, it's not on a, to my knowledge, on a peer to peer basis yet. Uh, they don't talk to each other real time in the field and coordinate. Mm-hmm. It goes back mm-hmm. to a centralized system. That's that's kind of how it happens. But we before we ever set foot in the field, we actually scan the entire field and uh, with a drone and, and uh, digitize it back and, and mm. uh, load that up into the system. So there's, there's a, a lot that goes on uh, before we even step foot in the field in terms of pathing and understanding where we're going and where we're not. Right. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, that's a little bit similar to how the uh, Google car was, was doing it, right? They're scanning the roads constantly, getting a, a really clear vision of, of what their cars are going to be going into, uh, and then have the, the system on board navigate both the digital map, the pre-rendered map, as well as the, the kind of real-time uh, vision that they're, that they're seeing with LiDAR. And the I actually animators. didn't realize that. That's really cool. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah. So you were talking about how you'd have like one person monitoring this this small fleet, um, up to three people. Uh, of course, the the podcast really focuses on jobs and how technology is impacting jobs. Sure. So um, maybe we can touch on a little bit, you know, the monitoring aspect. But then, how do you see uh, your robots, your your business impacting, say, farmers? Uh, do uh, you know the the poor people that are bringing out these large rigs, spraying down the the monocrops in the future? Are they going to be obsolete, or you know, what's the what's the situation from your perspective? Yeah, I think that. Um... If you talk to anyone in the middle of broadacre farming at this point, there is a labor challenge and it is the skilled labor on a massive rig, right? You, you cannot put an idiot on a 50,000 pound rig that's going down the highway yeah. and carrying a load of chemicals. And, um, and so there's, there's a lot of things there and it's, it's hard to recruit for those folks and it's hard to maintain them. And so there really is a, a labor problem there. And it is a problem for all farms. You know, everyone thinks these huge machines and that, but you still have to be on the machine. And you still have to run a pretty, very sophisticated system beyond what most people are doing on their desktop computer. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a real challenge. And so where we come in with that is, you know, some of that goes away. We are as a service. So we're not asking the farmer to run these bots themselves. We right. run it for them. And I think as connectivity improves in that, we'll be able to do a lot more of this remote, right? Uh, Starlink or whatever else shows yep. up out there. Yep. A lot of folks work. On that connectivity problem so um so i think on the farming perspective you know the labor spray rigs tractors uh, we have nothing to do with combines mm-hmm. but uh, harvesting but i think that we'll have an impact there second place i think is um, the farmer themselves they spend a lot of time worrying about machinery spend a lot of time financing machinery maintaining machinery having crews that do both operate the machinery um i think some farms will move towards more and more uh, robotics as a service as time goes by. It'll be cleaner, just like uh, a lot of corporations started moving 20 years ago towards software as a service. Yep. And, um, and you know, at first it was a slow uptick and then became an avalanche. And I think most companies are running a lot of software as a service at this point. And so um, I think you'll see this in here. What happens with huge farms, I don't know. Um, but that's 
that's that's what I see. And so labor-wise, it gives the farmer too a little more flexibility. Um, if you buy a piece of equipment, that's your piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. You're going to maximize that thing. It's the hammer. You know, everything looks like a nail. And so our hope is over time, systems like ours will give them more flexibility and more options to do different things with their crops. Um, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it plays out. We're really, really early. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of you know my hope. And which will change the food system, right? Our capabilities. And you mentioned monocropping. That yep. may not be the case eventually. Yeah, well, hopefully the uh, the weed bots will be part of that solution to to move uh, away from from the monocrops and towards something a little bit more uh, regenerative. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully. I mean, that's, yeah. that's we're just here to solve a problem. This is not about, I didn't even want to start this company. <laughs> this company is not about money for any of us involved. It's about growing it and, and, and basically solving the problem at hand. Right. Well, maybe then connected to kind of this this future vision, uh, I think there's a bit of a scalability issue here, right? Uh, how do you see uh, maybe in five, 10 years, I, I know that it's quite early for your company, but do you have like a, a vision as to the scale of, of Greenfield Robotics? Like, would you be able to have, say, some form of a fleet of robots in most fields uh, across Kansas and in other places in, in the world where they, where they have these large farming agricultural systems? Yeah, I, that is the goal. I mean, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> of course, we have a plan. Um, I think one of the interesting things about robotics in general is you asked about running at night. And yeah. if you look at farming right now, to use a uh, old internet term, you know, it, it, it's extremely burstable, meaning high intensity work for short periods, right? Mm -hmm. That's you know a bandwidth term that people used to talk about. And so if you look at farming, it is, you, you go to plant, you keep getting bigger equipment so you can go like hell and get it done on more and more acres because you got to spread those costs across those acres because you bought the equipment. And um, that is all centered around weather events, right? Mm. There's some planting windows, there's different windows for things, but it is mostly because of the weather events and your crop insurance and everything's around this. Well, if you're running all the time, you can run slower and you can spread out your time horizons and spread out your risk. And so I think that robotics as a service is, is going to be interesting that way. It's, it's more tortoise than hare, maybe, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the early stages. And, um, but it's, it's steady. And I think that can be a very big change over time. I mean, right now, we're just talking about weeding bots going through a field. Um, you know, that's kind of different. But as far as scaling goes, you know, I think that's important. The other thing is when you have smaller machines and you're not asking the farmer to make a massive investment, right. you have a better chance of, of scaling. And if a machine breaks, it's not, and you have a bunch of them, it's not as catastrophic right. as if you right. have one or two monster machines and they go down for the day. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. You can still move forward and just, you know, pull that one off to the side and do the repairs and, and whatnot, rather than, yeah, having to stop absolutely everything and maybe even slowing down or maybe, I, I don't know, but I would assume you could even maybe miss uh, uh, planting season or harvesting season if, if something, as you said, catastrophic would happen with a large machine like that. That's right. I think for, um, you know, for really big farms that have great service agreements and, and stuff like that with the, the current companies out there, you know, I, they, they're not going to miss a season, right? I right, mean, right. Uh, but for a smaller farm um, like mine, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have an old tractor and an old, and part of it is I'm like, I'm not going to update these things. Cause I, I don't know what the future <laughs> holds for it. But <clears throat> the, uh, the thing is, you know, yeah, if my tractor went down the middle of planting season, now what? You yeah. know, because I don't have those service agreements. I don't have 
enough acres to spread the cost of having company X come out and fix the thing in the field, which is always much more expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think for small farmers, that, that, is, a, that is a risk as well. Uh, maybe uh, I see the, the times winding down here a little bit, but maybe one of the last questions I have for you is we're talking about size of farmers here as well, right? So have you seen more interest on behalf of the smaller farms than you have on the, the large farms or how has that dichotomy happened? You know, I think it's more about who the farmer is and where they are at in their life cycle as a farmer. I think most of your farmers that are a little bit younger in that are, are looking at this regenerative ag and they see the opportunities and they're they're practicing it on, in terms of no-till and maybe they're doing some cover cropping and stuff like that with government mm-hmm. programs um, and maybe a little bit of grazing. Um, and, and they see that. I think if you're a farmer that you're five years away from retirement, um, you know, you're, you're probably, and you have all your equipment paid for yeah. and it's sitting there, uh, you, you're probably not going to be, I mean, you might be interested in what we're doing, but you're probably not going to adopt it realistically. Right, right. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting to see the, because uh, out, out here in Europe, we have, uh, you know, the small farm, the, the small business is quite a, quite a large, uh, takes up quite a large proportion of the amount of work being done. So it's always interesting to see the, the dichotomy, as I said, between, you know, yeah, Europe and, and America. But um, yeah. it's interesting yeah. to hear that, yeah, the, the younger, the kind of more, the, the more innovative farmers out there would be more likely to, to take something up like this. Yeah. And I think on a big farm, you know, we, I'm not nuts. I mean, we go to, I am a farmer. I'm not going to introduce risk into their operation. Um, And and that, that's been a key thing for us from day one. I'm like, we go and try to introduce risk into any farm. I don't care, big, small, we can forget about it. It's going to, nothing's going to happen. And so I think with the small, the bigger farms, one advantage they have is we can say, just give us a small sliver of your your land. And we start with you there and we prove it. Um, Whereas a smaller one, you know, we, we can't say give us five acres. We're not going to fool around with that. Right. So, um, you know, so it is a little more risk from their perspective at that point. But, you know, in these early stages, we were like, for example, last year, our confidence is much higher going into this year. But last year, you know, we made sure farmers had sprays ready to go in the background. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Great, Clint. Um, yeah, as I said, the the time's winding down here. Um, how can people get a hold of you? I'll have the uh, Greenfield Robotics up on the up on the show notes of the episode. But if people want to reach out, maybe see some other pictures of the robots uh, and what you guys are doing, how can uh, how can people get a hold of you? <laughs> I'll tell you, there's there's two good ways. Just go to the website, which they're not they're going to be unimpressed with the website. <laughs> so um, the great irony is all of us used to build tools that built those things, and, right, right, and right. Uh, but, you know whatever. Uh, and then the uh, second thing is they could just connect with me on LinkedIn. Would be a great way to connect as well sure thing and great. it's just clint, clint brower so and it's greenfield robotics so great should be easy to find me great i'll have both of those up on the on the show notes for you um clint thanks a lot for for coming on sharing a little bit about yeah. uh, the weed bots and regenerative agriculture and uh it's interesting to have a little bit more of a yeah holistic or kind of a different perspective a different theme th- compared to just straight up technology so uh, thanks for coming on and uh sharing your information well thanks for being patient with me and uh letting us reschedule a few times my apologies it's just not no the normal way for me but i'm i'm really grateful that uh you chased me down no worries glad to have you on enjoyed it well that's it for this week's episode thanks for listening if you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast and the conversations here the best way to do this is to go onto apple podcasts and leave a review as it helps the algorithm to reach out to new listeners and brings the show to them. 
Also, feel free to check out the website, automatedpodcast.org, where you can find the show notes for each episode, written articles on the themes of the podcast, and a library of resources on the topic of emerging tech and automation. Also, if you want to reach out and leave any feedback or you have any questions about the podcast or any of the conversations, there are general contact links such as email, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. for you there on the website. And finally, for those of you that want more than just an audio conversation, the video recordings are now going to be up on YouTube for the newer conversations. So feel free to check out the videos by searching for Automated Podcast on YouTube, where, of course, you can like and subscribe if you prefer to support the podcast that way. The Automated Podcast. 